Ring, ring. It's time for another episode of Crossplay Conversations, the show where we dive deep into the world of video games while keeping it light. I'm your host, Joseph Hooper, and today we have my lovely co-hosts, Luke Lewis and Jacob McCourt, joining me. How's it going, fellas? Luke, you first. It's going well. Happy to be back. Episode number two. We did it. We're still doing it. <laughs> excited. Yeah, people are going to listen to both like back to back because they're excited to hear our show. Uh, and Heck today's, yeah. today's a great topic. Thank you for suggesting it, Joseph. Absolutely. Absolutely. But before we get into that topic, since this is my first time hosting, I figured we have a nice little icebreaker, an icebreaker completely unrelated to the main topic, which is like the console oligopoly, uh, video game manufacturers, whatever. The icebreaker is what is your favorite special edition game? All right. Uh, I'll start with uh, I'll start with Luke. Do you have a special edition like, you know, Steelbook? Uh, limited edition, $150 package. I have a console that comes to mind immediately. That counts? Okay. Okay. The Spider-Man PS4 Pro I got at launch along with the launch of that game. And that is just the sweetest looking piece of hardware. Like, it's so sleek. It's shiny. The color scheme is really well done. I think the logo looks really nice. Sometimes special edition consoles are hit or miss, but I always yeah. remember that one fondly, and I still have it despite not needing it in terms of like being able to play games other places. But yeah, it's always one I, I hold near and dear to my heart. I also will shout out the Halo 2 Steelbook mm. um, that, that I got from my uncle as a kid. That was a, that was a sleek-looking one as well. And I feel like one of the first Steelbooks I had, I'm trying to mm. think. I can't remember an earlier game that I had a Steelbook for. Can I tell you that I almost bought that today? Would you believe me if I really? said that? Yeah. I know you well enough that I, I do believe that, but that's that's pretty <laughs> incredible. I was uh, like video game shopping maybe two hours ago because I'm trying to collect my, my Wii U collection, which I'm sure that we'll talk about some other time. Um, but my Halo 2 Steelbook got crushed under a couch. Joseph's actually showing it right now. It got crushed. And I saw one for $10 today, and I was like, do I do it? I didn't. But I should have. Mine's up there on my shelf. I feel like everyone's is slightly dented. Yeah. Is that a common theme? Yes. Like, for whatever reason, that specific <laughs> steelbook? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Love yeah, that. Mine is cratered, so, like, maybe I should get a new one. Right on. Um, can I cheat and, and have three of them? I mean, I had two in a console, so that Great. seems fair. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Halo 3 Legendary Edition. Uh, the one okay. that has the, the helmet that you put on top of the, like, um, like disc holder. I remember okay. like getting up, like standing in line at Best Buy to get it midnight release. Um, the second and probably my favorite is the infamous, maybe infamous two special edition, only because it came with the sling bag that Cole McGrath like uh, actually used in the game, which has like the the Thebius Raccoonus little logo on it. Because uh, I, I don't know if um, at the time Sucker Punch was using that logo or what, but that logo was on the bag and it's dope. So it's like love for Infamous, love for Sly Cooper in a sling bag because I was into sling bags in my youth. Um, and then the third is actually uh, Bully. Uh, there was a special edition on PS2 that came with a literal dodgeball that I still own to this day. That's pretty rad. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll pull it out sometime and show you guys. It's It's pretty dope. That's hilarious. Joseph, okay, what next. about you? Uno reversal, uh, Joseph. Yeah, for me, 
Luke stole mine. It is actually the Halo 2 Steelbook. I remember this very it's vividly. It's so clean. Because uh, I remember I got an Xbox 360 for Christmas one year. I was very excited uh, to play Halo 3, actually, because I was really in MLG at the time, but I didn't actually have Halo 3 or an Xbox at all uh, to play. So I like got went under the Christmas tree, unwrapped the Xbox, and unwrapped the game, and it was Halo 2. And I was like, what the heck? This isn't Halo 3. But if I ended up really, really enjoying Halo 2. It's one of my favorite games, period. So uh, I'm very happy my mom got me Halo 2 instead of Halo 3. Were you trying Which to tell us that you were a big Halo esports guy back in the day? Uh, I honestly was like weirdly into it. I, maybe because it was just on G4, but like Tom Taylor, the Ogre Twins, like I was MLG I was Pluck deep. It, MLG Pluck It. Like I was really deep into it, man. I was Nate trying to Shot back call. was streaming. No, he was on UMG. What is UMG? UMG was like a different competing like mm. esports tournament organizer but i don't think this is the esports episode luke doesn't luke's gonna be gone for that one (laughs) fair enough i don't have much to add to that conversation i did watch the g4 coverage back in the day and there was a novelty around watching people play video games on cable tv that was fun that was amazing Mm -hmm. man i remember cheat man she was so fun arena arena was fab arena's good uh but this is not the g4 reminisce uh, maybe we'll talk about past G4 versus present, you know, Put that in the semi-present bank. G4, but that might be a different episode. Today, I wanted to talk about, I'm I'm really, you know, emptying the tank early. This is one of my favorite topics that I, I love to talk <laughs> about. And who knows what episode 100 has in, because this might be it. This might be my, my piece de resistance. The gaming oligopoly, all right? So for the people at home... Who don't know oligopoly that's just basically where you know monopoly one company owns them all they basically own all the market share oligopoly is when there's like a family of companies that own most of the market share so it's not just one guy but hey like uh, when we think about internet providers in the u.s there's like four options that you can have and like nobody's making their way into that that little family of uh, internet providers and they kind of get to set the rules on their own terms uh, for a while now, uh, basically for almost its history, uh, in the video game space, in the video game landscape, we've had somewhat of an oligopoly. Now, the players have shifted and changed over, over the years, over the decades, especially early on. There were a lot of players that tried to stake their flag in the video game space, but now it's kind of uh, the dust has settled. People are still trying to get in, but the dust has pretty mostly settled, and we're with the big three, Microsoft, uh, Sony, and Nintendo. So I wanted to talk about that uh, with a couple different topics uh, sprinkled without. But let's start with, actually, let's, let's, I had a bullet, I'm going to start with a bullet point that's not even on my little schedule here because we're getting, we're getting <laughs> crazy. We're going off the rails. Let's go. Uh, in honor of the whole Activision Blizzard purchase by Microsoft, will they, won't they, uh, it looks like they will. Um, let's talk about video game consolidation, all right? Um, why is it bad? Is it bad? I want to I hear the thoughts. And I'm going to start once again with Luke. I, Jacob, I know you're chomping at the bit to, to get at this topic. So I'm going to start with Luke. And I want to hear your thoughts on 
video game consolidation as you know it today and what are your thoughts your fears your non-fears how are you feeling it's it's complicated i think i have a lot of feelings but i think there's pros and cons and i i see different companies approaching it a lot of different ways and i'm sure we'll get into some of these specifics but i look at for example let's look at Xbox and Microsoft versus like what Tencent is doing. And I think those are kind of like the different ends of the spectrum for me of like, I view, for example, a studio like Double Fine getting resources and funding from Microsoft as a good thing, giving that indie studio some stability, giving them more resources, giving them more access to technology, make better games. Net, probably a positive thing for that studio. But then I look at Embracer Group buying up studios by the dozen different THQ Nordic things, properties getting lost in the shuffle, development hell, mismanagement of resources and funding and things, and it just seems like such a mess. So I think depending on like how these corporations are approaching it, it could be good and bad for the industry. But um, yeah, and then we get into all of the FTC stuff with Microsoft and kind of what it means for the broader future of the gaming industry. Like this, this topic is huge, but yeah, I think it, it's complex. It's not one side or the other. It's kind of my initial take. Sure. Jacob? Initial yeah, take? it's yeah, it's really complicated, as you said, Luke, because even when I think of like the trajectory of Xbox, right? Think about how as consumers we were enamored by Xbox Live for the first couple years where they would, you know, sure. add a game or add a studio and we would just go, Oh my god, it's the greatest uh, deal in gaming. But Xbox then there Live was or a Game Pass. Uh Game Pass, Game Pass, yes. Okay. Um but then there was this tipping point where they made the acquisition of I think it was I don't remember if it was 8 or 10 studios, the one where Double Fine was was acquired along mm-hmm. with In Exile and uh, a few others. Uh at that point, at least in my case, I was going, okay, this seems like they're gathering a lot of power and they're, you know, sure they're getting efficiencies, but at what point do I say too much? And then the Bethesda thing happened. And then I said, "Oh, okay, this is this is a lot." And then they go and purchase, uh, you know, Activision Blizzard King, which is argu- which is not arguably, which is the largest tech acquisition in U.S. history. And I think that's where I kind of raise the red flag and go, like, sure. this seems anti-competitive because they can do things that other companies can't. Right, Sony does not have the cash on hand to go and purchase a seventy dollar, a seventy million dollar company. Nintendo cannot do that. Uh, Ubisoft cannot do that. There are very few companies that can make that move, and that move comes from cash not generated from games. So, I think that's all I'll say for now. Um, but there definitely was a tipping point in the game industry where I was like, maybe this is now not good for consumers because sure we love phil spencer and i think phil spencer as a leader in the games industry is a good one but what happens when phil leaves right that's the thing that no one is talking about think about double fine even if you bring up the example sure microsoft almost sank double fine with the original psychonauts they pulled out of their publishing agreement majesco came in at the last minute and kind of gave them money to put the game out and that was because Ed Freeze was came in and was like, nah, or Ed Freeze left and was like, we don't need this game anymore. So tides yeah. change, and tides could change in this respect. And to that point, too, like, what does a double-fine game developed entirely under Microsoft look like? 
do we get things like Psych Odyssey at that point? Do we have that level of like access to that team? I don't know. There's a lot of ramifications to your point too. Yeah. Joseph, how do you feel? This is interesting because I think your comments perfectly segue into my next kind of thought, but I, I will give you my general thoughts before that. So I wholly agree with Luke. I think it is a very complex topic. I think it is almost like a case by case uh, situation. Um, and personally, I think that consolidation in general, especially when we're talking about billions and billions of dollars uh, to take off uh, a big player in the video game industry off the board is like, huh, this is like kind of odd. This is something that especially the video game industry isn't all too familiar with. Um, but at the same time, I do think it's like a the video game industry is still super, super young, like compared to a lot of these other entertainment industries. Uh, and like I said, the console market is an oligopoly. If one console market manufacturer goes down and there's only two left, that drastically changes the video game industry forever. Like, it just does, and we'll talk about that in a little bit later. With developers, and in some cases publishers now, I don't entirely see it the same way. Like, um, And it definitely depends, right? Because like, I look at Activision, who's getting purchased right now, and I'm like... Sure, this may switch, like swing things in Microsoft's direction, but at the end of the day, it's Microsoft's move to stay alive and stay relevant in the industry. And what do we lose by Activision getting acquired by Microsoft? Like when I look at Activision, they're already basically they've already consolidated the things that they own, right? Like Microsoft is not taking the developer of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and, you know, now who knows what their future is. They're not taking Spyro and, you know, saying, hey, we're not going to use that anymore, but we're going to buy it because, like, we just want it off the map. It's like a lot of the stuff that Activision actually owns today is not being utilized to its full potential in my eyes. Um, so I look at it as, like, somebody who's, like, I like I like the term like student of the game because people always say that about sports. I'm like, that just sounds so cool for no reason. Uh, as like a student <laughs> of the game, I look at like who's making waves. Like we we talk about we talked about Ubisoft before. Like if somebody bought Ubisoft, we'd be like, uh okay, like who like who cares? That's a big company and it probably would be a billion dollar acquisition, but we'd be like, uh okay, I guess if somebody bought uh Embracer Group, we'd be like Okay, I guess it's expensive, but it's like, what are they doing? Call of Duty is a big moneymaker, but in, just in terms of ideas and, and innovation and moving the needle in the industry, I don't really see Activision doing much outside of what they're already doing in terms of dominating with Call of Duty. Um, and the whole exclusivity part has already been sorted out at least for the next 10 years, so I'm not entirely worried about the ramifications of that. But I do want to segue into the idea of like Microsoft is not necessarily playing fair, obviously, because they're using their war chest, the the fabled war chest that all the the commentators talk about, like when when uh, when they were discussing Microsoft and the Xbox One days and how they can turn things around. Um, and my thought process is, yeah, they have a lot of money, but money doesn't really move much in the video game industry without 
the fans and the backing and the IP and the ideas behind them. Like we look at Google who has lots of money, who spent a lot of money on Stadia, who are paying indie devs millions of dollars to develop games for Stadia. They didn't really do anything. People saw the idea, the concept within the first couple months and they were like, ah, eh, this isn't, this isn't going to be great. This, this core concept that you guys are pitching us is not going to do it. And they never really adapted that concept and they failed because people refused to buy in Amazon a lot of money, spent a lot of money on their MMOs, and they just can't figure out how to make a meaningful impact in the video game space. Um, so my thought process is Microsoft is doing a pretty good job at innovating and doing what they need to to stay afloat after the Xbox One generation. Uh, it's taking some time to ramp up studios like we always knew it would have would be, especially like in this new generation where they're saying like six is the minimum dev time for games. Um, what do you guys think would happen? Right. Let's say this Call of Duty deal didn't go through. Phil Spencer said this wasn't the end all be all. But for the sake of discussion, let's say it was right. Would you rather uh, Microsoft kind of just organically fail because Sony just has so much market share power because they took advantage of Microsoft's stumble uh, and was able to capture a lot of that market share in the PS4 generation. Would you rather an organic failure come out just because Microsoft can't compete or would you rather rather a more competitive uh, Activision acquisition that allows them to innovate more in the space of Game Pass, which might help them survive and keep things interesting over the next two, three decades. I'm curious, Jacob, let's, let's do reverse Robin right now. I'm curious what you think about this. The thing that like people, the console warriors, I'm going to invoke the console warriors that they always say is like, Microsoft's dead. They are going to lose to Sony when like, I think Sony and Microsoft's businesses are just fundamentally different. Right when you think about Sony, are they making as much margin on online services compared to Microsoft? I bet you they're not. Right. So when you say, did they need to make that acquisition to stay afloat? I argue that they did. They didn't have to. I argue that they could have gone out with their war chest, and if it wasn't an acquisition of Activision Blizzard King, they could have just done a whole bunch of content licensing deals where they go out to. Uh, you know, the Activisions, the Blizzards, the Kings, the EAs, the Ubisofts, the Tencents, and say, we're going to just give you a bag of money to give us your IP at least for the first year on console. We could have gone back to the timed exclusives instead. Um, they didn't need to make this move. They made this move because they were sitting on a lot of cash and because even if they wanted to borrow, because reminder, the ABK deal was $68 billion in cash, which is crazy, Mm -hmm. um, but also, like, debt was cheap, right? So if they needed to borrow, you could borrow money for 2%, 3%, something that you can't necessarily do now, right? So if they're trying to make a 10% return, it's just really easy for them to go to the bank, get a 2% loan, and then make that purchase, leverage that purchase, and then make money off it for the long term. Microsoft would have been fine. That's, I guess, uh, my take. I, I don't you, know. Do you disagree? I don't know if I, I don't know if fine is. Exactly yeah. Define fine because is kind of where my I'm thought at. process is, is like as a business, if Xbox was a business independently, similar to how PlayStation drives the revenue of Sony in a lot of ways, 
Uh, Xbox doesn't really drive the revenue of Microsoft. So I don't think they needed to do this deal. Like we all know that they did this deal because they saw the opportunity, but they were considering buying a a Sega or a Square Enix, Mm -hmm. which even though Activision Blizzard is significantly bigger than a Square Enix or a Sega purchase, I think the ramifications feel similar to me Whereas, like, if Microsoft all of a sudden now owns Sega and as a result they own Atlas and Monster Hunter and all these franchises that are iconic that are now exclusive to Xbox or something, I think that's, like, like once again, it's not always about the dollars in the video game industry. And I think that's just as big. But anyways, in terms of being fine, Xbox doesn't really bring that much revenue to Microsoft. And Can I give you stats? Because I have them yeah, as go a ahead, percentage. Yeah, so as a percentage of their business, gaming is 8% of Microsoft's business, right? Right. For reference, in 2022, that is $16 billion in revenue for a $200 billion company. So just just think about that. Like but, hmm. a drop in the bucket. A lot? Oh, you're saying it's a, I'm it's saying a, it's a drop in the bucket. Okay, yeah, Compared I agree. to what the company overall is. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah I agree. Fair. So yeah, I yeah. think Phil Spencer has said, like in these these court depositions right like microsoft expects us to operate as a standalone business right and if we can't do that then we then then we just have to do what a standalone business will have to do which is cut things down or or do whatever uh, until you know you start being cash positive so uh i think that cutting deals like the the thing that sony does in comparison cutting deals for final fantasy and stuff the interesting about that interesting thing about that is it's very hard to do when you are in third place because even though sony cuts deals like for final fantasy i promise you if microsoft wanted to cut that same deal it'd probably be two maybe three x the cost because they just don't have that market share so i think it i don't know what options i'm not saying that this was their only option but I don't know if like the option to just like do third party deals was is all is like an option anymore for Microsoft at this point. Um, But anyway, I agree with what you're saying. I don't think they had to do this deal. I'm just I'm more curious about like, let's say for whatever reason, they did have to do this deal and it got blocked. What do we think the world would be like? And uh, Luke, feel free to answer this or feel free to answer the previous question. What do we think the world would be like if Xbox is forced to like, hey, we can't make consoles anymore. We have to just publish whatever games we can with the studios we have and put things on PlayStation. Is that a world that we are okay living in? All right. Not that it, it wouldn't happen. It, it, it can't happen. Will we be okay if it did happen? So, Luke, feel free to answer the previous question as well, but I'm curious your thoughts. Sure. I think kind of just jumping into everything, something that's on the top of my mind right now is just like the relevance of Xbox as a brand to me as a consumer. And I think about like how diehard of an Xbox fan I was during the 360 era and how that was my console of choice. That was my friend's console of choice. A lot of that had to do with the ease of Xbox Live, Xbox Arcade, like, and there were just a lot of awesome first party titles and third party partnerships on that platform and i think about how a lot of that fell off for me in the xbox one era and how i think without a lot of these acquisitions i wouldn't have felt 
compelled or interested in what Xbox was doing going into this new current generation. That said, I totally agree with everything that's being said about, like, I don't think they would have had to make this deal to sustain business, but I think there is something to keeping relevance and keeping keeping things interesting, albeit maybe having negative effects in terms of, like, corporations, huge takeovers, limited resources for other companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, to your point, it just... Xbox needed to do something big, and this is the direction they chose to go in, but I'm very curious, like, what this will look like long-term for Xbox, but all of these, this discussion does make me more tuned in to what their company is doing otherwise, than I think I otherwise would. I think, like, Matt Booty said it in emails, at least, I may be paraphrasing or I might have got the wrong person, but, like, Microsoft is not playing the short-term game here. No. We know that consoles are lo- is a low-margin thing. They lose money for the first couple of years, and then they make money in the end, and then they have to revise their hardware and they don't make money anymore. The real money, as we know, is in online services, is selling games digitally, so they're thinking 10 years from now. They have Azure technology backing up all of their you know, cloud infrastructure, and they want to get away from hardware entirely, which is why Phil Spencer always says, like, we want to meet you where you are, which to me, like, as a, as a business boy, that converts to we eventually want to get out of the hardware business because we make no money there. Mm. So I'm always worried about Sony. And I, you could, like, Sony is winning the game today, right? You can't mm. doubt that. But do they have the cloud infrastructure and are they ready for 10 years from now? I really, really doubt it. So, going on from that, whether Sony are, are not as ready for it or what, I think Microsoft is okay now. This deal seems like it's going to go through, and I think they're back on their footing. And even without this deal, Bethesda, I think, positioned them in a place where, hey, we're good to survive whatever the future may hold. Um, but let's say Microsoft failed. Let's say Sony failed because their cloud infrastructure wasn't like up to snuff. Let's say there's only one console manufacturer. Does that just, is that just like almost like a doomsday scenario for the video game market at that point? Like whether it's organic or or however this happens, like say Microsoft at some point, Phil Spencer leaves and they have another Xbox One snafu and Microsoft says it's not worth investing in this division anymore. Like if there is only PlayStation and Nintendo what happens there? Because, like, Jacob, I, this may be the segue to your automotive industry <laughs> reference, but yeah. it's almost like, hey, if Ford goes away and we just lose a major manufacturer, a major American car manufacturer off the map, it's kind of like, hey, this is kind of not good for the industry and and who has the power in, in shaping that industry. So I'm I'm kind of curious because I do feel like – we might not be there now, but we probably were super close. Who knows how close we were during that Xbox One generation of being like, it's not worth it to make these consoles. It's just not worth it. Like, let's get out. Let's cut our losses. Let's maybe make software. I don't know. Uh, and let's just let PlayStation have it and PlayStation Nintendo. I'm curious, like, what, like, what happens to the industry in that scenario? It's a really interesting question, right? Because the thing we have to remind ourselves of is like the 360 was incredibly popular 
but Microsoft had to spend a butt ton of money because those consoles just didn't work and their recycling program cost them billions. So let's assume mm-hmm. they made very little money in that generation, right? The Xbox One is is bad. Uh, it comes out the gate and it is not a game console and players are not happy. They get trounced by the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. I think companies like Microsoft can play the long game like few companies can. So I was never worried that Xbox was going to go away. Was I worried if the next console was also poor? Maybe. Mm. But obviously with Big Phil, they figured it out. They turned it around. Um, if we, the, the question you asked was, what happens if we lose one of these companies, right? Mm-hmm. I think the one thing that we haven't really spoken about is like the PC, right? Mm-hmm. We have, it's not like the automotive industry and the automotive industry back in, you know, I, I grew up across in Detroit, Michigan, 2008, the big three, like I lived in a town that essentially did parts for the big three. And so when they had whatever happened to them happen, it depressed my town just as bad, right? Mm-hmm. We're different in the game industry because we're, do, they're basically toys, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they're not true. cars. Um, so if we lose one, I think players will be at a disadvantage, but we have this open, uh, this open console, if you will, in PC, right? It's something that people tend to forget sometimes that we have this whole other fourth console. I think if we lost one, we'd see a renaissance in like boutique makers of Steam Decks, Asus ROGs, like that's where we'd go. So I'm not that worried if we lost one, especially if it's, as, as crazy as this is to say, I wouldn't be as worried if we lost Nintendo as a hardware manufacturer. As a hardware manufacturer. Um, their, their games will live on forever in movies and TV and whatever console. Um, I mean, ask the FTC and they'll want to litigate for two days if Nintendo is a competitor to Xbox and That's PS5, true. but I digress. Luke? Yeah, I... I don't know. It's hard to say one way or the other what will happen, but to your point earlier point, Jacob, I feel like that's what Microsoft is pushing for to stop producing consoles. I personally as a consumer would be cool with it. Like it'd be nice if in order to play everything, I could just say have a gaming PC and a console and get used of everything. I think from a certification standpoint, it would really benefit indie studios because they'd only have to worry about developing for one platform that said that has gotten easier over the years because things are more centralized to kind of pc based architecture but still um yeah i i don't think it would disrupt the market as maybe as much as we would think i feel like from a nostalgia perspective i would be like way more like heartbroken if nintendo stopped making weird interesting hardware but I feel like I play so many Xbox Game Pass games through PC already that it feels kind of natural to see that move towards cloud, towards streaming, towards locally downloaded games on PC over the console. Man, all I got to say is you guys are crazy, man. You guys are crazy. (laughs) I think about the situation where we lose, and I I agree with Jacob where – if we lost Nintendo as a hardware manufacturer, it's not as crazy because they already have their isolated fort, and they're the only one that make Nintendo games. Remember when Sega and, made consoles? Exactly. exactly, right? Like, Sega was the competitor, and what um, time. <laughs> I think, you know, if we... So, my overall thought is, I think 
it would be very bad for the industry if we lost a competing console. Um, and I think we already kind of see that, right? Like, let's take Nintendo, for example. Nintendo doesn't have any direct competitors. There is no one who is trying to eat into Nintendo's market share. And we look at Nintendo, and for all intents and purposes, their hardware, their services are bad. They're not good. Like, their online service is bad, and they have no incentive to fix it or mm -hmm. make it better. Their hardware is very behind, and they have no incentive to make it better because they're the one-stop shop for family games in that specific market they're the one-stop shop for these classic ips and uh like there are no there is no con console where you can only play sonic and that's like oh we have to have that and that i feel like what you did nintendo's market share but we don't have that so nintendo does not do sales they do not put their games on sale uh they uh like there are no consumer benefits from nintendo being innovative or being pushed besides the fact that they have great ips and they have a good bar of quality for their mm -hmm. games um i think that is not great but luckily that is not how people play a majority of their games like jacob is saying a lot of people play their game most consoles and or most games released on playstation xbox and pc um I understand Jacob's point that, hey, there's still the PC market if Xbox or PlayStation or whoever fails in that high-end area, but people don't really want to play on PC. They want to be in their... They want easy, right? Like, yep. you look at the iPhone versus the Android. So many people have iPhone because it's just easier. It doesn't really matter how much customization you can get or, like, what you can do on a specific device or that there are so many different devices for your needs that run Android iPhone's easy. And as a result, iPhone can do whatever they want. They can make iMessage uh, exclusive and make it annoying Talking about for anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, if, I, if Xbox went away as a hardware manufacturer, I feel like we would be kind of in for a rude awakening because already you see PlayStation not wanting to endorse SharePlay. Already you see PlayStation forcing uh, developers premiums to get their games promoted, to get their games like to take the market share of like you know digital cuts if xbox wasn't there little xbox is not really doing much to that argument to be fair because they don't really have much market share anyways to influence that decision but i feel like it would just be hey no playstation games are going on sale like hey this is playstation now is what it is like we're not revamping anything and i feel like it microsoft pushing Game Pass and this Call of Duty deal, as crazy as it is, is going to light a fire under PlayStation's butt to improve a lot of their infrastructure, services, hardware, IP, X, Y, and Z over the next 10 years, very quickly. Um, so I think, it, I think it's interesting. I do think that uh, if we lost one of the big three, it'd be kind of bad for everybody involved except the main manufacturer. Um, which leads me into my next question. Let's say one does fall. Is there hope? We are young in this industry. Is there hope for somebody else to come and feel, fill the shoes? Is there a hope for someone to come and light the fire under Nintendo's butt and compete with them? Is there a hope for someone to compete with Xbox and PlayStation in that console space 
that makes it easy for parents to go and invest and buy their kids whatever the, the everyday man to buy and invest in. Um, do we see that happening in like the next 20 years? Somebody coming in the space and being a legitimate competitor? Can I make a, a, a potentially controversial statement? Yes. Go uh, off. <laughs> it will be either Amazon or Google again. Ooh, uh, you think Google is not done? No, I, I well, I mean, they're they're still kind of using that technology in other ways, right? Like they have the second largest mobile platform. So who says they couldn't use the technology that they've developed for Stadia um, to help with their mobile gaming, right? Um, I think we're grossly underestimating the things that Amazon would do to get Luna in more people's hands. And having played it, it's fine. It's no better it or fine. worse than any other ex like cloud gaming service. Um, the bar to enter the console market is huge, right? You assume that it's a ten-figure investment to get into the games industry, unless you, billion, unless you want to make <laughs> some, <laughs> unless you want to make some weird console that doesn't work like the ColecoVision. I, I'm sure Tommy Tallarico is going to find me and come after me for saying that, <laughs> but like. Who can make that play? Who can afford to lose money for 10 years to make that play? It's Google, it's Amazon, and I don't think anyone else. I'd maybe throw Apple into that conversation and just Apple, based on point. their yeah. recent kind of tech pushes in different ways. Yeah, I agree. I don't see anybody coming out with like, I think we're looking at streaming sticks. We're looking at cloud services. We're not looking at, we're not going to see the Dreamcast equivalent come back from a Sega type or or that type of move. I think the, the manufacturing costs just don't justify that return. But I do think we're going to see a bigger push in the next 10 years from those companies you mentioned, Jacob, of that I, I could see that being successful because for how entrenched the three of us are in the games industry, you know, I work with folks every day that like, they don't have game consoles in their home, but they have an Amazon Fire Stick or they have an Apple TV device or they have a Samsung smart TV with some functionality of xCloud that's built into it. Like that How technology is Netflix? there. Right, right. So like I think we're going to see a move towards making that content more accessible. And I think if more developers want to get involved in that, like and make their tech run well there, that 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 that's where I think we're moving. And I think to your earlier point, Joseph, like if Microsoft were to move away from console manufacturing, I still see them in the X cloud market in this streaming conversation with these other big players. So like, I still think net there's, there is that competitiveness in the industry that we do need. So yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I agree and disagree at the, at the same time. All right. How um, dare. No. Okay. <laughs> I like see. how you say you disagree each time and then you just like go on to agree with us the whole time. Is, is that what I've been doing? Is that what I disagree with us now? <laughs> so I disagree in the, I agree in the fact that I do think that the only people that can make a play at this point are Amazon, Apple, Google, um, or I don't discount a Tencent out there making, doing whatever they want to do. They sure. have the money on hand um but i disagree getting in... ooyah vibes from exactly. that, that prediction nice <laughs> um, i mean didn't they control switch distribution in china for a very long time maybe i don't know wouldn't be Possibly. surprised yeah that sounds someone google fact check me on that sorry Joseph. okay 
Um, no, it's fine. I, I, uh, the only thing I disagree is, is like, I was sort of on board with cloud, um, early on with like the X, X cloud, um, initiative, Amazon Luna. I was like, Oh, these people know something that we don't know. Like they have stuff that is working and runs really well and is ready to change the game. Uh, and now I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, I think that they look at cloud and they see opportunity just by the nature of what the technology can enable. But I don't think they, anybody has a path for it yet. And I think that path, like if we're talking about, Hey, like here's a sign, take this exit and you'll be right in the city. I think we're in a forest and they are still really struggling to figure out how to get to the city, the, the cash cow, right? The thing that I think is making the most leaps and bounds, uh, in terms of like revenue and turning small players into huge players is mobile. Like I know Phil Spencer has said this, Microsoft has said this a lot. Hey, it's all about the King mobile. I don't necessarily know what their plans are because I think you need a very specific strategy to capitalize on mobile. But you look at Genshin Impact, you look at uh, like Fortnite on mobile, you, you look at uh, all these things and you're like, wait a second, these guys are making billions and billions of dollars on this anime game where you're, you're unlocking <laughs> ladies in a box or whatever you're doing. I don't know. I haven't played Genshin Impact before, but I'm like, this is why they're making billions and billions of dollars cloud. I've yet to see. And I agree with you, Jacob, Amazon Luna, uh, full disclosure. I work at Amazon. I've played Amazon Luna multiple times for many, many hours. I'm like, this feels great. This feels good. Uh, but I have not seen any evidence out there in the industry, uh, from anybody, any of the big players that this, can be a very profitable and viable solution in the next decade. Um, I feel like a console is very easy. Hey, this is everything you need. Uh, plug it up, hook it up to the internet. You're good to go. Honestly, sometimes you just need a disc. You might need to let something download for eight hours to be able to play it. If you have bad internet, that's okay. You'll get the game downloaded. And once it's downloaded, you can go uh, a mobile phone. Hey, there's cell towers everywhere. You can play your mobile phone game anywhere on the bus, whatever, and you're good. Cloud streaming is the infrastructure is not there. Uh, the tech is decent, but not there to cater to a majority of games out there. And not, not nobody, no common person I know knows or cares about the cloud. Nobody cares about using the cloud or thinks it's a novel idea or uh, anything like that. So I don't really think that is the avenue forward, at least for not like maybe the next 10 years. Um, and the other thing is, it's not just the tech. It's not just, once again, it's not just the money. You need to have the IP to sell that tech, to sell that concept. The Switch is a really cool concept but nobody's buying that to play Skyward Sword, all right? <laughs> nobody's playing that, buying that to play 1-2 Switch. They're buying it to play Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild. And, oh, what, what do you know? Now a lot of sold. Now indies can, can develop for it. And now, now guess what? It's an indie machine. And now people want to buy, buy it and, and buy not only the first-party releases, but these indie, indie releases. I don't, I don't see that happening with cloud. Like, Google showed us front and center, hey, like we have this really cool technology or whatever, but guess what? You have to buy the games outright. Mm -hmm. Not to mention we're spending millions of dollars to have these games developed. 
and we still can't give the games out for free somehow. Like we still can't build a library or portfolio like Game Pass to to make this make sense for the average consumer. So. I don't well, I mean, know. and then talk about another oligopoly, right? When you're a company, especially if you're King, developing mm-hmm. for mobile platforms, just by being there, if you want to transact with those customers, it's going to cost you 30% on Android mm-hmm. and Apple, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. can you get Fortnite on an Apple device right now? You can't. Oh, because Epic said, yeah, we don't no, want to pay 30%. Yeah. Why do we need to pay 30%? We don't care if after a certain dollar amount, you drop the amount that we have to pay by like per- uh, whatever percentage points. But like... They have that other problem of giving up 30% just because there's another oligopoly controlling like app stores. Mm-hmm. I think just as a sidebar, I'm surprised we haven't relitigated that again. Why haven't yeah. we litigated from an antitrust perspective like why there's only two marketplaces that charge everyone 30% for what maybe arguably doesn't need 30% charge? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, but I think something interesting that is going to come out of this, uh, out of this consolidation discussion for all this stuff is the studios. All right. Like we're talking about IPs. We're talking about things that make these platforms special. Um, and ultimately that comes down to the studios. Like, yeah, Activision Blizzard is getting purchased and, a reason that I'm not too up in arms about that after Bethesda got purchased, Bethesda is a big deal to me because Arcane, as far as I'm, you know, we don't talk about Redfall. Arcane, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, is still innovating. They are at the peak of their innovation cycle. Uh, Todd Howard, we don't talk about Fallout uh, 76. Apparently, he wasn't, you know, lead director on that. Uh, Todd <laughs> Howard is one of the visionaries in the industry, and he's putting out. He's still putting out like a Starfield. Looks like it could be his, you know. Magnum opus. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Magnum opus. So you take those guys off the board and you put them under one umbrella and you're like, ah, that's okay. We'll give you this one, but no more. Activision Blizzard. I'm like, okay, somebody's making Call of Duty. I don't know who's directing these Call of Duty games. They're basically, you know, Microsoft Paint, copy paste, whatever. It's it's fine, you know, it's fine. But then we have IO Interactive. But then we have like. Double, well, I guess Double Fine's taken. What's, uh, what are the Bastion? What's the Bastion studio? That's Super, Super Giant. Giant. We got Super Giant. We got these indie studios that I feel like are still working towards their like blow up and being like the biggest names in the industry. And I feel like those are the people we got to protect. Like, how do you guys feel? Like, we keep talking about consolidation and taking people off the map. How do you feel like our studios and publishers are doing in terms of being in jeopardy because of, like, how the industry is changing so rapidly? Luke, let me get your thoughts. Sure. I think we we touched on it a little bit earlier just in that it is very situational. Like, I think it benefits some studios more than it does others. Um, To me, I look at some of these acquisitions, specifically with um, Activision Blizzard, and I think that maybe we have a better chance at seeing some older IPs that maybe haven't gotten the light of day in a long time. Will we get a new Guitar Hero game or more Crash Bandicoot or Tony Hawk or things like that that have been shelved for commercial reasons, but maybe can find, find the right audience with an indie studio or... Not an indie studio, but like a smaller studio under the Microsoft umbrella, if you will, things like that. But I, to my earlier point when we were talking about Embracer Group and Tencent, like what's going on with all those studios and like how how are these acquisitions helping them? Yeah, I don't think they are. Arguably, 
Um, it's just such a weird time and place. And yeah, for, for, for all those studios and to even understand like who's publishing, who's developing it, it everything feels like it's happening behind like a magician's curtain mm-hmm. for better or for worse. I mean, I mean, especially with Embracer Group, like yeah. now yeah. that you you brought them up, I think we have to talk about sure. how they have essentially purchased. I don't know. F- I'm not exaggerating when I say like 30 studios in the past mm. couple of years. It's crazy. And then we, you know, we we get a little excited because we're like, oh, you know, they're gonna grab Volition and Deep Silver, and like maybe they'll save Saints Row, like because we put our fan hats on. But then we take our fan hats off, and then we see what they do, where you know they have some big miss from an acquisition or a deal they were going to do. And now they say all these studios that they've built up, all these IPs that they purchased that they basically just wanted to like live off the residuals of all those IPs. They're going to consolidate these studios down. So like the humans that work there that had nothing to do with this lose, right? There are good acquisitions. What Phil's done at Microsoft, there are bad acquisitions, arguably what's happened at Embracer. Yeah. I'm not in there, so I don't know. But from the outside, it looks messy. I agree. I think uh, Embracer is just like, oh my god, it's, it is a it is a disaster over there. Whenever you see financials, and we're talking about, yeah, like this person backed out, we don't really know. It's clear that hey, they didn't really have a plan in place with any of these acquisitions, and they're just kind of build themselves up and and hope that things kind of fall into place. And they clearly are not doing that because making games is hard. Um, yep. I kind of I have like a love and hate relationship when we talk about acquiring studios that are the premier tastemakers in the industry. When we look at Embracer, uh, no offense to anybody, Embracer has bought Deep Silver and stuff. I'm like, I can take or leave Deep Deep Silver. Sure, somebody can be on their payroll and fund them, and they can make whatever games. Sure, I'm fine with that. But it's not like. Embracer inquiring Deep Silver is like, oh my God, they're going to change the trajectory of Deep Silver. They're going to change how their games are made. It's like, I don't even know what Deep Silver's bar of quality is. Like, I only know Dead Island. I'm like, that game was all right, I guess. Um, But then you look at stuff like, I'm really happy to see like a deal like PlayStation acquiring Bungie. Bungie has a lot of power. They are on the forefront of these like looter shooter games as a service. Uh, but when PlayStation bought them, they were still like, Hey, we're still going to release games on our terms. We're still going to release them to all consoles and kind of do, uh, what we want in terms of like dictating how we manage our games. Um, but they now have funding. They now don't have to worry about where their next check is going to come from. Um, obviously we saw double fine. Double fine has a very specific flavor of game where their identity as a studio is closely tied to how we view their games. Uh, And it's crazy to look behind the curtain and say, yeah, they were close to not getting Psychonauts 2 out of the door. They were close to not even getting Psychonauts 1 out of the door. Uh, So, like, that one is, is like, who knows? Like, Phil could leave and... They could somebody could decide Double Fine is not making games fast enough or they Double Fine can have one flop and those doors get closed. But for the time being, I'm like, I'm glad that they don't have to worry about money because as much as we talk about consolidation and all of that stuff, like we also have to understand that a lot of these studios that are getting bought out, it is not out of, they're not like, yeah, let's go Microsoft. Like we're, we're big fans of Microsoft. So we're getting bought. It's like, yo dude, thank you for buying us because we were not going to make it. Like we talk about Bethesda and talk about how big that 
that studio is. But look at their last releases. Like, Fallout 76 was not like, hey, this is a cool idea. Todd Howard always wanted to release this. This was like, hey, we need money. Like, yes, Skyrim is one of the best-selling games of all time, but we got a lot of studios that we got to support. And the Skyrim residuals are not cutting it. So we need a game that continually can fund Starfield. You can only buy um, Sky, uh, that game like how many times? You can only Five buy times? it like seven times. Yeah. You know, you can only buy it like seven times. Even look at Redfall. Like I know that was a disastrous launch, but that game was in development before Microsoft purchased them. And it was clear that it was going down a very similar route as the Fallout 76 where they have shareholders and they're like, hey, we're not going to fund this game until you tell us how this game is going to make money for a long time and, and make that investment back. So they're putting microtransactions in. They're making a games as a service for like no reason. And I feel like that almost hurts studios as much as consolidation does. Like, when these studios get so big that they are struggling to find funding uh, and they have to compromise their visions for their games to support their huge studios, I feel like that's also kind of a bummer. So um, I do feel like, hey, this company got purchased. They got their bag. Hopefully we're past like the Lion's Head studio days where <laughs> like we're just like we just cannot figure out how to make this work and we're just closing people down. Uh, rest in peace. Like, uh uh, the Concrete Genie studio from PlayStation. Sorry, kinda, no, Pixel Opus. Uh, yeah, that kind of happened Tears. to you guys, Oh, my God. That was but, so uh, sad. Such a bummer. Yeah. It's tough to make games, and I yeah. really would love like these middle-to-higher-tier games to not have to focus on surviving in this new inflated budget world of development and just be able to focus on their games. The indie studios... I would like them to be left alone. I would like Devolver to be left alone. I would like Anna. You mean as a publicly publisher. held company Devolver Digital? Yeah, they need to leave. I mean, publicly held company that also releases merch on eBay that Jacob buys by and gets scammed by. <laughs> and that Luke has a hat of that we're wearing right now. <laughs> I mean, I, sponsor us? Question. I don't know. Like, so <laughs> it gets super. Uh, it gets super complicated when you look at the studios as a whole and see how they're affected or not affected by the acquisitions. Um, was somebody about to say something? I heard some lips smack. Oh, that, that was me. I was going to jump in, but you were... Let's it, go. Go ahead. Were, no, I don't have anything. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's interesting, too, that you brought up Bungie, because that acquisition specifically hit me differently in a sense that they also did that acquisition as a way to, like, gain resources and knowledge for their teams to then make a broader push for competitive... Um, like ecosystem based live, living games of service titles mm -hmm. um, and whether or not like I necessarily agree with that direction for PlayStation. It's interesting that that business move wasn't just a sheer, like we want to own this market. We want to corner this market. It was like, we want to use this development knowledge to like further our other studios, um, which I don't feel like we see a ton mm -hmm. right now. It's mostly a, like we're saying about like, let's own call of duty. Let's own these IPs. Let's, um, build up revenue and all that business stuff. The thing that we have to remember with the games industry is that it is actually, you could say with any industry that they're always like circular and they all go in waves, right? So we're making all these acquisitions. When you buy video game studios, what are you buying? You're buying the IP sure. and the people who make games about them. Mm -hmm. The thing is, if Tim Schafer, for example, uh, it's weird talking about real people, but uh, if he decides that like 10 years from now, he doesn't want to make games under Microsoft anymore, 
he can just take his brain that comes out with really good ideas. The barriers to start a studio are, are have never been lower. And so he goes off and does his own thing, right? I think that's what we have to remember is that like, yes, this may be the way the map looks today, but like, who knows what will happen with Embracer Group? That thing might split up into 10 different pieces in the next couple of years. And this map will look very different. Um, and then how many times has Bungie been like sold and resold? Yeah, exactly. That kind yeah. of just illustrates my sure. point. Who owned yeah, them first? Absolutely. It was Microsoft and then they yeah. went to Activision and then they went on their own. Now they're with Sony. They've yep, been around, right. around the block. Yep, for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. I think another thing, another thing that doesn't really worry me particularly about consolidation. When we talk about consolidation, my biggest worry is like uh, the exclusivity of the IP, right? If Call of Duty was exclusive to Xbox, that changes things really, really fast. And it could snuff out PlayStation or put them in on their back foot and possibly lead to like rush decisions and bad decisions instead of like actual innovation. Uh, but in consolidations like, or in acquisitions like this, I kind of imagine it, get this image in your head, right? We're in space. All right. So go to, go, go to space in your mind. You have this giant, like uh star commander ship that's like patrolling for, for uh rebel ships. And it's like, Oh, I find this rebel ship. But guess what? As the little tractor beam is pulling in the rebel ship, it shoot a little pod shoots out with like the princess of the rebel command. All right. Or the leader of the rebel command. And guess what? That princess or that leader is going to go to some other planet, rally up the troops over there and keep the rebellion going, keep the, the fight alive in a new way. That's, that's Are you describing Star studios. Citizen? Is that what you're doing so right th- now? I've never played Star Citizen, but I was thinking a little <laughs> more o- along the lines of like, uh, I don't know, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars and or anyways. Um, the point is, it's okay. Like, I think the talent, the people behind these ideas will go on to pop up new studios and maybe they'll succeed. Maybe they'll fail. Who knows? But I think the industry is uh, pretty flexible in that way that it's not necessarily the studios themselves or the IP that will continue to push the industry or stifle the industry. It's like, are these minds still incentivized to create new studios and to create new brands? And they are, because like we said, the Amazon and Google and Apple, I don't care what hardware they come out with. They're not getting into the industry without some stellar studios and some stellar minds behind their brand. Uh, And Hideo Kojima just made his new studio couple years ago and i'm sure that he would get millions to sign with apple and be an apple exclusive partner i don't think he'll ever do that because he's just kind of a creative like that but like the the rat race for these studios is gonna perpetually be be spinning it's like jacob said it's a circle so not too worried the thing i'd be worried more about is if there were these companies that were starting to vertically integrate um Mm. because Arguably, most of these are horizontal integrations. Sorry, I'm going to use my MBA for four seconds here. Let's go. Where, like, they're just buying content to go on their platform. Mm-hmm. I would worry if Microsoft bought Unity or, mm-hmm. like, Tencent owns a stake in Epic, right? Who mm-hmm. makes uh, an engine that funds games and makes movies and does simulations for cars. Like, that's the thing that, like, I don't love this, to be honest, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that would worry me even more if we started cool let's let's integrate the engine let's uh integrate cloud i mean arguably some of these companies already have where like then to make a game you have two options of 
cloud services to use, consoles to be on, infrastructure to use, engines to use. That's what worries me more. This is a 6 out of 10. That would be a 10 out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wasn't there, and maybe you guys can help me, there was literally an acquisition that was blocked because someone was trying to buy ARM. I think it was yeah. NVIDIA was trying yep. to buy ARM. And that was like the vertical integration where it was like, huh, like ARM is making, I, I don't know, like the microchips that you would put in the graphics cards and they would be literally, I mean, NVIDIA and AMD is already an oligopoly. It. Yeah. Like it would be over. And mm -hmm. that's like very. Yeah, that feels a lot scarier. Yeah, that's, that's so much more of an obvious like, uh oh, yeah, we probably shouldn't let this happen. than <laughs> Microsoft getting Call of Duty like Call of Duty. OK, this is fine. But I think we can work around that. I think we can figure out solutions to Call of Duty, all right? I don't think that's the end of the world. There are certain acquisitions and things where you say, like, somebody makes the purchase, and you're like, oh, A to B to C, and C is the end game, and it's very clear how you get there. Like, you can get there in a couple of years, and it's mm -hmm. over. And this, I'm like, ah, maybe, maybe Microsoft will switch market share. Maybe they'll tie up market share. I don't even know if they'll tie the market share with Call of Duty. I don't know if they can do it. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how these acquisitions work over time because I, I agree. Maybe Tencent buys Epic at some point, and what does that do? Like, yeah. Who knows? So like, uh, it's very interesting. They very own a stake, but they don't own the whole thing, and Epic's a right. private company, which is also wild mm -hmm. that we don't really know what goes on inside hmm. of Epic or Valve because like they're privately held. Yeah. Um, which is almost more fun, right? When I Valve comes like out it. with a Steam Deck, you're like, what are they doing over in Seattle? I do. I do like that, yes. Hand-delivering <laughs> the Steam Deck. Never uh, forget. Never forget, such everyone. Such a great video. Man. I mean, that's it. I mean, we've, I feel like, fairly exhausted this topic. Um, I think we're in a very interesting place where, like I've been saying all through this episode, the console market is, the video game industry is young. Like it's super young, but also we already have three very, very, very entrenched players. And we're only like, what, 30, 30 years into the video game life cycle, if that, 30, 40. Um, so it's like, dang, two decades from now, where are we going to be? Like, is it going to be like bare minimum PlayStation, Nintendo, Microsoft third party, Valve just on dominating the PC market? Or... Will cloud revitalize things? I don't know. Can I bring up one more thing before we close out? Sure. There's a sleeping giant that we have not spoken about for this entire hour and three minutes of conversation. Mm -hmm. um, they're not a console maker, um, but they are part of what I would say the big seven. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're thinking about people who have content, like EA's just been kind of biding their time. And I feel like not enough people talk about the fundamental pivot that's happening inside of EA, separating out their sports division, losing and shedding the FIFA license, which probably was very costly, making all these like deals with Star Wars, starting new studios to like do... They started the Black Panther studio, right? Starting yes. new studios for Marvel IP. I think they're preparing for like a very prosperous next five years. And not enough people are talking about it. Honestly, you make a good point. I should definitely buy some EA stock. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's another reason why I'm not too worried about 
Activision Blizzard going off the map because once again, I don't think they're innovating. No offense, like they're making a lot of money with Call of Duty. That's great, but they're not really doing anything to be like, oh yeah, they are. They are trying to revitalize like EA originals on the EA side. They're uh, trying to keep Bioware revitalized Bioware and stuff like that. Activision's just like we're we're good with Call of Duty. We'll see how much juice is left in this fruit. Um, <laughs> and yeah, EA definitely becoming a juggernaut. I think they're doing an audit of everything they've done wrong over the past decade or so and saying, how can we fix this? How can we fix the Anthem problem? How can we make FIFA and, and, and whatever um, a little more interesting? And also, how can we compete with the person across the street, which is uh, Take-Two and 2K? Like, that's another company who they don't release many games, and that's because they don't have to because they have Grand Theft Auto, and they're working on Grand Theft Auto 6, and it's right around the corner, and it's going to make several billion dollars. And they also have a monopoly on the basketball video game franchise, and that's kind of just enough for them to do whatever they want. Um, so, yeah, like I, I do think that there are these big players, like you're saying, EA, Take-Two, uh, Epic with Fortnite, that are like, hey, we make very big games, uh, and we make sure that we can also throw our weight around so that PlayStation and Xbox don't get too comfortable as market holders. They don't, we don't get to that 30% regardless of where you publish type scenario because they're like, hey, we can just publish on PC Grand Theft Auto and we'll screw both of you guys over. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, uh, Ubisoft, uh, yeah, they, they're not doing their job. That's all I'll say. They're not doing their job. Um, but everybody else, they're holding their own. Yeah, yeah, it it's interesting too. Just to add on that, I feel like Take Two and EA are so like rooted as third party publishers in my mind. But I would have said the same thing five or six years ago about Activision. So who knows? Like we said, what will happen in the years to come? But I don't know. It's kind of nice to be excited about EA games again. I will say that just as a total total side tangent. But amidst all this acquisition things, it feels very separate. I would be kind of surprised to see an EA announcement in the next couple of years, but you never know, I guess. Yeah. You never know. I think, and I'm going to expand it before we before we end that pod. <laughs> uh, if we take take the topic and flip it on its head, and we talk about like the publisher oligopoly, there was an oligopoly for a long time of EA, Take Two, Activision, Ubisoft, and those were just the people. Um, sure. But I think there are just enough players in the game, and there's just enough uh, opportunity for market penetration that things are super interesting in that space. Like I look at the console market and when Xbox was down and doing dog water uh, on the Xbox one, I was like, this is boring. This sucks. Like, yes, we're getting great games on PlayStation, but we have a whole like other side of the industry that just can't do anything good and, and nobody wants to support and they can go away and it's just going to be boring. On the publisher side, it's so much, it's much a different, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's a different story. Um, EA had Anthem. It was a fail. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda sucked. And people were like, these guys only want to charge us money and they're, they're, they're scam artists and all this stuff. And then they said, hey, here's uh, Hazelight Studios who will give you um, uh, It Takes Two and uh, A Way Out. And we're actually investing in interesting and fun projects. Here's Skate. Um, Capcom are competing. They're saying, hey, all our other Resident Evils, let's 
remake them in a very great way. Let's be the industry standard for remaking games. And as a result, other people like Square Enix, who, quite frankly, I think Square Enix is not quite at the efficiency of some of these other publishers. But they're like, hey, Final Fantasy VII Remake, some of these ideas are actually pretty good. So all of these publishers are competing with each other. And I think Activision off the board is like a drop in the bucket compared to the innovation we're getting to these other manufacturers. Like Call of Duty, everybody's chasing Call of Duty. Like we have Battlefield trying to chase Call of Duty. We have Apex trying to chase Call of Duty, Fortnite. Um, But I still think there's enough innovation in that space that things are constantly going to be interesting, even with them under Microsoft and not independent. So I don't know how much I want to go in on that. Cause we're, we're already at an hour. Ooh, maybe, but... maybe we'll do a to be continued. Yeah. I think we could do this topic every like two years. <laughs> you know what I mean? And kind of have like a status check of where Damn. we're at. Just to yeah. check and see how cloud is doing every two years. Are we there yet? <laughs> yeah, Square Enix's NFT business is going. God. Yeah, if Final Call Fantasy 16 didn't come out, I'd be like, I don't know about this Square Enix business. I want a cloud segment where we call it the weather report. We have a graphic <laughs> that pops up behind us. We talk about cloud gaming. I love it. Put I a pin in that one. Love it. Uh, listeners, don't steal that idea. I know it's very good, but le- leave that for How us. How long you have know? you been thinking about? That's what I need to know. That was amazing. No, that was right off the dome. Wow. That was that was right now. Wow. Yeah, we got a clever one. Got a clever one in our midst. But with that, everybody, we're going to set our status to away until next time. But until then, you can do these three things. Follow us on Twitter at CrossplayConvos. Send this podcast to a friend, a coworker, a family member, because that's how people hear podcasts. And give us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. Five stars, nothing less, unless there's a six-star option on your podcasting platform of choice. Then definitely hit that. Also, leave a comment. And do not mention that we asked for this specifically. Say you did this on your own. Thank you very much. It really helps. <laughs> and with that, people, oh, we don't have a we don't have a, a catchphrase to to end the episode. So what do we try? A new here? one. We did happy gaming last time. Try a different one. And with that, people, boot up your consoles and boot down your minds. <laughs> boot down your minds. Boot them down. Just play games. Don't think. We're corrupting the youth, baby. We're corrupting the youth.